TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Welcome to Tigers Tonight, a podcast dedicated to University of Memphis Tigers football. Here is your host for Tigers Tonight, John Maddox. And good evening, everyone, and welcome inside the November the 30th edition of Tigers Tonight, the season finale. Hard to believe that just uh, 12, let's see, 12, 13 short weeks ago, we got this thing started with our season preview, and uh, we are at the end of the regular season. We uh, closed out with a win over Houston, and I'd uh, like to thank Gil for all his hard work and uh, dedication to making sure we get on the air every week and and keeping keeping Larry and I in line. Uh, Gil, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yep. I had an excellent Thanksgiving. Awesome. And, th- and thank you. I've really enjoyed doing this. Well, awesome. Did you notice my slippers? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I didn't notice I the have slippers. my uh, Memphis Tigers house uh, <laughs> shoes on. That's that's weird. My wife won't let me leave the house with house shoes. I'd wear house shoes everywhere if I could, I think. Why would you? Did, why did you actually know? buy with the, with the house shoes on, man? I'm, I'm just asking. Yeah, he drove up. I sure did. Yeah. I have on sweatpants and house shoes. <laughs> That's he, how hardcore I am. Yeah, they tell me, wait, wait. Tell, tell me, tell me, you're you're like you're like in in that movie where uh, what was the name of that movie uh, where he 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 wore he wore the house shoes for the entire week. Uh, oh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, he sure. Wore, he wore the same outfits for the entire week. Tell me, tell me, you've done that. Yeah. That's awesome. Tell me that. <laughs> so I have uh, a uniform. Yeah, he's got the official. You know, I, I tweeted. I was at Panera earlier tonight. The show's already off the rails. That's okay. Uh, I tweeted earlier tonight that I was at Panera and there were leggings and boots abounding, which I think is the official uniform to be at Panera. And I think the official guy uniform. Uh, you know, but if I could, if I'd wear house shoes everywhere, if I could, so much more comfortable. <laughs> And the man who needs no introduction, uh, he is the first team best co-host in all the land, the one and only Larry Marley. Larry, how in the world are you? And maybe more importantly, where in the world are you this evening? Well, well, I have actually made it back. I just got here about 10 minutes ago, and and since I hadn't seen my wife since um, Saturday, I figured if I hit the door and then immediately went to the studio, I'd probably need a divorce attorney. So... Um, I decided yeah. to go ahead and call in. Yeah, I don't have even an extra bed tonight, so. Yeah, I, even though I did actually make it back, but, but I have been in in order. I've been in Louisiana, and then I was in Mississippi, and then I was in Florida. I made it as far as Tallahassee, and then I, I came back. So it's it's been a long week already, and it's only, what, Wednesday? I, I think it so, is. And, and belated it's... happy birthday. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate and that. We're, and we're all, we're, we're all glad you can finally, uh, you're finally old enough to drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, much appreciated. Uh, Joey Fairbanks was supposed to be with us tonight, but he is a late scratch. Uh, he, he, yeah, he's, yeah, he came down with a bit of a cold and a fever. And, uh, so we're, we're going to put him on the disabled list retroactive to yesterday. Um, but don't worry, he'll still be paid. You know, this is not unpaid leave. So, uh, right. I mean, right. So, sure. the, so the Tigers wrap things up on Saturday in a uh, boring and, and very Friday, Friday, or, <laughs> Friday, it was last Friday, yeah, in very boring and and non dramatic fashion. Just another ho hum week at the office for Coach Norvell and the Tigers. I mean, and and we talked about USF being the best game of the season, right? Well, we were wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, the best game of the season was, uh, the, you know, the, he saved the best for last. And and I will tell you this, I I have I actually went back and watched that game again 
uh, it's a lot different watching it on TV as opposed to being in, in the stadium and watching it. And that first half by Memphis was it was, I know I know that we've dominated teams like for example we dominated Bowling Green and we dominated SMU, but I don't think either of those teams are as good as Houston, either of them, and certainly not talent wise. And Memphis absolutely dominated the first half of that game. I think that's as well as we have played all year, and I don't think it's close. Yeah, I, I I was really impressed with the, you know, obviously the execution, but I thought the game plan was excellent. Uh, the yeah. we'll get into the all all American Athletic Conference teams in a little bit, but uh, the AAC Defensive Player, the our, our Rookie of the Year, Ed Oliver, had a nice big fat several goose eggs on his uh, stat line. Houston only recorded one tackle for a loss in that game, and I, I thought that was critical. That we we really came out and game planned for them very well. Uh, you know, it's funny, I, I think I said this last week on the show, that I thought that the game plan for Houston would be very similar to what USF did to Memphis, and I was absolutely right. We just, we got rid of the ball quickly, we were able to run the ball a little bit, um, you know, we're not asking Raleigh to drop oh, wow. back, yeah, we weren't asking Raleigh to the drop back. Yeah, we did. We you know we we gashed them and and but again, I think part of that was we were, you know, we were getting rid of the ball. We ran it 34 times for 146 yards. Um we were 30 of 45 for 409 through the air. Uh, with four touch with four touchdown passes, we amassed 555 yards of offense on 79 plays. Uh average 7 yards a play. We did not turn the ball over. Houston turned it over twice. Um huge which were huge, you know, and people want to want to jump up and down about the yards that Memphis and Memphis gave up 624 yards. There's no there's no yep. sugarcoating that, but it was on 47 of 69 passing for 487 and also 137 yards on 32 carries. Uh you know, so we both ran the ball pretty well. It's 101 plays, 624 yards. That's a lot to ask of your defense uh to hold up in a game. And let's see, Houston was 11 of 21 on third downs and 3 of 3 on fourth down. So that was that was a big part of it. You know, when you go 14 of 24 on third and fourth down, that's going to keep you on the field quite a bit. Memphis went uh, 8 of 16 on third down and 2 of 2 on fourth down uh, in the contest. Houston holds the ball for 33-01, Memphis for 26-59. Tigers had... On the day, had 20, 28 first downs. Houston with thirty three um, penalties were were at a were kind of at a minimum, and we're gonna we're gonna talk more about officiating here later. Just kind of as a general thing, it's one of the two things I want to talk about besides uh, the game on Saturday. Uh, actually, pen, penalties I meant to say were plentiful. Uh, the two teams combined for nineteen penalties. Memphis had ten for ninety four yards, and Houston had nine for sixty nine yards. A couple questionable calls in the game, but you know, thankfully, it did not um, determine the out. Well, I don't want to give away my whole story, but it did not determine the outcome of the game. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm with you. I thought that was probably as well as we've played all season in that first half. The second half was really shaky to get out of the gate because Houston went in and made some adjustments. And look, to their credit, yep. they didn't do what we did against Temple last year. They didn't roll over and play dead with their coach leaving. They came out and they fought like they hell really in that second half. No, and, 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 and here's the thing. Here's the big adjustment. And, and I saw it when, when we were 
there, and then I, I really saw it up, up close and personal when I watched the game. Uh, they came out <clears throat> early in the game. They came out with a 4-2 set where they just basically, that's their standard defense, four down linemen, two linebackers, and then they had the, the monster man. Second half, they came out 4-3, straight 4-3, and they said, you know what? If you want to go four wide, we're going to go man-to-man, and we're going to blitz every single time, And you're not, but you're not going to run the ball like you did in the first half. Because we, how many times did we get a, a long third down run for a first down, and, and 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 we were just gashing them with that little stretch play off off the right and left side, mostly off off the left side, honestly. But um, and so they came out and they added a linebacker, and they said you're not going to run the ball in the story. And and we kept trying to run, and and what most disappointed me was how slow it took. How long? How long it did take us ultimately to respond to this and bring in the tight end, which is what we did. We brought in the tight end and went with three wide receivers. And 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 then we were able to match up Anthony Miller and put him in the slot. Once we did that, he was a he was freed up. And that's what you saw on the last two drives. It was basically Miller running three across the middle. Well, and, and, yeah. and they had nobody that could cover it. Yeah, nobody. I, yeah, and and Raleigh said as much after the game. He said, you know, you know, when I see Anthony Miller one on one, good luck. I mean, you know, try and guard him. I mean, that's right. You, you just right. can't do it. Um, you know, I thought that that last drive was as gutsy of a Memphis drive as yep. I've seen in a long time. Um, a couple yep. play, you know, everybody talks about the touchdown to Miller, which was phenomenal. It was a great, it was a great play call. It was set up when Houston, when Houston crept their safeties up on their last play, which I really didn't understand why they did that. Um, cause that left, that left Anthony Miller one on one with the corner. And then the corner just gives up the inside. I think the corner thought he was going to have some help over the top because he sure just gave Miller the inside. But both safeties had crept up the line, and it was a great read by Riley and, and a perfect throw and a perfect catch. But maybe even before that, the best play on that drive, I think, was the long pass down the left side to Mayhew, where he just yeah. went up and got that football. He just flat and out. He, but, and, and Riley threaded it. Yep. Right between. He threw it right over the top of the, of the, of the cornerback in front of the safety. But you you got to give Mayhew credit. He knew he was going to hit take a hit. Not only did he take the hit, he ran yeah. off <laughs> and actually get, yeah got some got some got some rack yards. Um, and and I, I mean that was the to me that was the quintessential play of the game right there. At that point, Houston knew that it, it, there was a lot of emotion, and I, I'm going to get into this a little bit later. But there was a lot of emotion by Memphis. I think Memphis expelled a lot of emotion in the first half. And and so I think that contributed to the second half. We let down. There's no question. Emotionally, you just can't stay on a high like that for 60 minutes. You just can't. I mean, you, you're gonna you're gonna let down. And I think we went in 34-17. There was a little bit of a letdown. And and, and I, I'm sure you're going to mention uh, the Millette play, or the play that, that Arthur didn't make, that yeah. sort of opened the door for Houston. Well, you know that that there were two plays like that. Um, Millette's play was was a little bit easier of a play, to be perfectly honest. He that was a pick six that he should have returned. But Avery missed one too on that next on that last Houston Gennard, scoring drive. Gennard Avery just a half he knocked the ball down. Yeah, but and just a half a step late getting over there. Um, you know, to me, the story of the game is you you look down here, you look down the Memphis defensive 
um, stat, stats here, and the Tigers had seven tackles for loss in the game. Or I'm sorry, yeah, eight tackles for loss in the contest, which if you'd have told me that Houston was going to have two and Memphis was going to have eight, I'd have probably called you all sorts of names. Jonathan Cook, 11 tackles. Ty Northern, 10. Hey, how about Ty Northern stepping in for Austin Hall and getting 10 tackles? It, it's really been, you know, and coaches say it, and it's one of the cliches, the whole next man up thing, but it's really been that way on the defense this year with all the injuries and, and just the attrition of having – you know, the bye week and the second week, you have Ty Northern with 10 tackles. Yep. Avery comes back with seven. Mallette with six. And a young man who I think has maybe made himself some some money this year, Chris Morley with five tackles, a pass breakup, and a fumble recovery. Um, Curtis Aikens, again, another nice game from him. Four tackles for him. Nelson Sharif White with four. Just a very balanced defensive effort uh, across the board for the Tigers on Saturday, Tiger- which is amazing, we're, we're praising defense and we give up 620 yards. But but what you're 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 talking about is a Houston team that, I mean, they ran they had to run 101 plays, and a lot of that was because the Memphis defense would stiffen in the red zone. They'd end up with a field goal instead of a touchdown. Um, and and then honestly, if Memphis's offense does anything in the second half, you know. Because we just absolutely did nothing in the third quarter, nothing, and and I think that was that certainly contributed. I mean, you know, Houston had the ball the entire third quarter, and that's really hard on a defense, especially come fourth quarter. Tigers with eight pass breakups as well. So, you know, you look and you, oh man, they gave up six hundred and twenty-four yards. Yeah, but they made some plays, and and I think you're right that they made plays. Um, when it mattered in the red zone, you know that during that twenty to nothing Houston run, um, you know it was field it was a field goal of twenty five yards to cap a thirteen play sixty two yard drive, and then a, to start the fourth quarter a field goal of twenty six yards to cap an eighteen play sixty uh, four yard drive. And, and and listen, I've seen some Houston fans complaining about officiating. Well, you know, and and we'll really get into this in a few minutes, but you know, if you go. Why did we lose that game? Well, it wasn't because of a call here or a call there. It's because you had to kick two field goals inside the 10-yard. You you had it inside the 10-yard line, not once but twice, and you end up kicking two field goals. Um, Correct. You know, I, that's really what cost you the game. Um, you know, but hats off again to Houston. They uh, they did what I didn't think they would do. I, I kind of thought they would roll over and play dead um, as the news went on and, and as things leaked out about Herman and especially Friday right before the game. Uh, it leaked out, you know, when Linnell Bonner comes in for Houston, grabs 17 balls for 235 yards. Tyler McCloskey with uh, Memphis had no answer for him. Seven catches, 86 yards. Chance Allen with eight catches for 73 yards. Uh, Tigers, though, put two over 100 yards as well. Anthony Miller, of course, 15 grabs, 169 yards and two scores. And Phil Mayhew with six catches, 142 yards and two scores, including on the second play of the game, which was a complete bust by Houston. Um, and and I, I, when I saw that, I thought, I, I'll be very honest, I thought, well, we're going to have this one easy because, the, you know, Houston hasn't done that all year. They haven't just cut somebody loose like that all year. But, you know, to their credit again, and I think, you know, this speaks probably more to the character of the team than the coaches, but that team said, you know what, we're not going to just lay down and, and go away. Um, and it would have been easy because they really, just to be perfectly frank, they, you know, and we didn't really either, but they had nothing to play for. I mean, you know, they're just – 
playing out the string. Their coach is leaving, but they said, nope, we're not going to go down that way. And again, all the credit in the world goes to that, uh, goes to that team. And, and to be perfectly frank, you've got to give some credit to the staff because it would have been very easy yep. for them to say, you know what, guys, just go out there and, and let it ride and, and whatever happens, happens. But they came in with a game plan. And, and where it was very telling to me was – when they made those halftime adjustments, because it's 34-17 and, and, and the ink is probably getting a little dry on the contract with Texas, you know, it would have been very easy for Tom Herman to go, you know what, guys, let's just go out there, have fun and, and whatever, you know, but they didn't do that. They, they came out, they made adjustments, they, you know, they did what they were supposed to do. And also credit to Cole Kublik before the game. I don't know if you saw the pregame stuff, but he was really, really in Herman's face about, uh, the, the potential coaching change. And I said something on Twitter to him because that's really – you just don't see that anymore. You don't see reporters asking tough questions about, you know, are you leaving? What's the status? You know, hey, he he flat out asked me, he said, so how does the team handle a coaching change? And you could tell Herman was very, very miffed by all of this and, and by this questioning. But, you know, kudos for asking those questions because they were fair. And, frankly, they should have been asked of Justin last year, too, and they weren't. Um, but, you know, it, it was one of those things that I just – I was so pleased with how we came out and we were focused and we were intense. And I think some of that, Larry, is we're just frankly – and and uh, we had a little back and forth, Jeb and I did on Twitter tonight um, – I think everybody's kind of tired of Houston's crap. You, you know what yeah. I mean? They're tired of hearing how great Houston is. Um, yep. And, and the players are too. Right. I, and and, 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 and I'll, I'll tell you this. I actually tweeted out, I think it was Saturday, um, that in order to have a good rivalry, it, generally speaking, you have to have a fan base. One of the fan bases has to be just a bunch of arrogant jerks. And I think in my tweet I said, and Houston qualifies. It did. This is a and, and that's and the players exude this. Okay, there's there's some people call it swag, whatever you want to call it, but they, you know, and, and <clears throat> kudos to them for expecting to win. Okay, I, there's nothing wrong with having confidence at all, but there does come a time where the other team, you're, and, and we faced this with Middle Tennessee when I was in college, is that <clears throat> they had beat us I don't know how many years in a row, and. I remember going into my the last game against them. I remember us talking about it, going, "You know what? We are sick of this crap. <laughs> We're sick of hearing yeah. it from our fans. We're sick of hearing it from, you know, there was no social media back then. But you'd hear it from your fans. You'd hear it on see it on the newspapers. See it like, you know what? We're tired of this crap. And 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 I I, I I'm a hundred percent sure because I saw it published that Memphis. The Memphis players were really upset about last year's game, you know, losing that lead and then having to hear about it, you know, because because players, if, if one thing that people may or may not know is a lot of times players do interact in the off season, whether it be uh, media days or at football camps. Sometimes kids right. for sure uh, all get together, um, and so you do interact and you do see each other and you talk. From time to time, and let me tell you, they let you know what happened. You hear about it. I think Memphis was just done with them. They they were absolutely, and I say the players, not. I mean the fans are too, but we have no effect 
on the field. Um, but, but but I do think the players were done, and I think I think there were reports of players crying after the game. They were so emotionally spent by this. I, you know, clearly this was a Memphis team that was on a mission last Friday to me. Yeah, they were, and and you know I I think it's as exhausting. You know, you and I texted after the game, like, and I think we both had the same reaction. I was exhausted at the end of the game. I mean, and, and I'm just watching it, and I'm just mentally and physically spent at the end of the watch, just watching the game. And, and I can't imagine what the players are dealing with because you know they've not only they've had to hear this for a year. Not only have they had to hear this for a year about losing last year, 35-34, but they've had to hear how great Tom Herman is and how great Ed Oliver is and how great Greg Ward Jr. is and how great Houston is and how Houston's going to be the flagship of the Big 12 and how Houston has all this money and Houston has this. And and you just, at some point, you go, you know what? They put their pants on one leg at a time, too. And and I thought the talent was fairly evenly matched. Now, I thought Houston's defensive line was, was... not as good as I expected them to be, and to be fair to Ed Oliver, he's a little banged up, a little hurt. But hey, I don't want to hear it. We played, we played what eleven straight games. Um, yep. You know, we got guys out everywhere. Um, put, I was, your, put your big girl panties on and get out there. I was really shocked <laughs> that they did not run Greg Ward more than they did. I think he only had two designed runs the entire game, and, and I really was afraid that they were going to look pop in that Quentin Flowers tape and go, huh. Yeah, these tigers can't break. Yeah. They can't hold contain, and they just—they never did that. They went to it once, and he got, I think, twenty-one yards, something like that. And they went back. He had to scramble a couple more times, and then that was it. He—he he didn't try to run. And again, to be fair to him, you know, I was told he's a little hurt. He's a little, you know, he's nicked up. He's had a shoulder. He's had a back. He's had a neck. He's had a knee. He's got an ankle. You know, I mean, he's got a lot of, you know, just a lot of nagging injuries. And, you know, I—I I just I was. I was exhausted at the end of that game, and I, I think you're right just to look on some of the Memphis players. But you know one thing I did like? I don't think anybody on our sideline was surprised. Nope. And, and you know, they, they, they did run that quads against us, that, that yeah. USF ran. Um, which is, let me be very clear, that's not a quote-unquote, you know, uncommon thing. But it also, uh, they ran it, and did basically the same plays the USF did. So I thought um, they clearly did try to, because I said to, earlier this year, the tape had built up on Memphis. Um, and clearly they were trying to utilize what other teams had done. The thing that I thought was different here was that Memphis's, while, while we didn't get a whole lot of push up front, we got a lot of pressure off the edge against against Ward and we forced him to roll out a lot um and and one of the things that I saw quite frankly was he wasn't as accurate when he was throwing on the run no he and, and yeah he uh he, so, he struggled quite a bit on the run on Friday he just I, I think the whole team even though they came out and they gave a good effort and they, they fought hard, I think they just weren't very sharp. And again, that's to be expected for a couple reasons. But, you know, take all the coaching stuff aside. They put as much, as much energy as Memphis put into that game on Friday. They had put the previous Thursday night against Louisville. They had put that much energy yep. into that game. And they ran away with it. And it looked there early like Memphis was going to run away with our game. But, you know, Houston's too good of a team to not 
come back and and, and answer and yeah. boy they they really did answer the bell okay and then immediately after the game pretty much immediately i think it was actually the next day uh tom herman is announced to go to houston um by lunch by lunch <laughs> by lunch I, I, on know, saturday and, to go to texas day. yeah i'm yeah. sorry to go to yeah to, to leave houston go to texas correct um right because my, my tea time was nine and before i got to to hole number nine um it was already announced so I mean, this was by lunch. He was he was signed, sealed, and delivered because they announced the Orgeron deal. I, I forget mm-hmm. sometime that morning, um, Saturday morning, and then Herman was announced within three hours of that, two hours of that. Yeah, it was a couple so, hours later, and and you know. It's the reality of this business. It's the reality of college football. Coaches move on. Um, so the Tigers wrap. And, and I got news for you guys. If we win eight more games next year, <laughs> eight, nine, whatever we <laughs> yeah. win, Norvell's going to start getting some looks. Now, there's, I will tell you straight off some of the things that I've been told by media, not by people, but not by coach, other coaches, but media people, is that the one thing they think that might hold him back right now is his age and the fact that um, he's, you know, he's young and so he's an up-and-comer, but he hasn't, he hasn't had that quote-unquote sustained success. A uh, guy like Herman who's, but you know, who's, well, you know. but, but here's but look, my, media people, not coaches. But, 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 I'm just telling you. I, I get that. But here's my deal with Herman. And I'm not saying that Herman's not a good coach because clearly he's a very good coach. Right, right, right. I am infinitely, and this is not even a Homer thing. This is just a looking at things realistically. I am infinitely more impressed with what Justin Fuente did at Memphis than I am with what Tom Mm -hmm. Herman did at Houston. Because what everybody is casually leaving out about Houston, and they just want to casually kind of forget this, um, that team went seven and five, eight and four, seven and five the two years before Tom Herman got there. So that was a good team. and you can make the argument that if if, if Levin had stayed, how much that, different would it have been? I mean, I, right? I mean, I, look, they were clearly growing as a team. When when, when Sullivan left, I mean, he left sort of with a lot of seniors, and and he he goes to Texas A and I mean, that team was going to go down regardless. Right. I don't care. I mean. I mean, you could have had I me mean, insert your insert your Hall of Fame coach, you know, and, and it wouldn't have mattered. That team was not going to go back to those heights. It was going to take a couple of years of rebuilding, and they they played tough those two years. I know exactly what you're saying. A total opposite of what Justin walked into, which was a demoralized locker room, bereft of talent, bereft of players. Just numbers, um, yeah. I, it, it, it was. It wasn't that the kids weren't that they were there were not talented. It was that there wasn't enough of them. Well, and, and Justin had to fill that that number. Well, anyway, I'm being nice. <laughs> so, so he had to build those numbers up just just to play, you know. And you know, God bless him. He he, he had to go through that second year. Where it was a tough year, but man, what a you know what what you know, sometimes in order to, to strengthen steel, you have to anneal it, you know, and you have to, you have to so that, that that sort of we, we became harder because of that. 
and, and so let's give Mike some credit for this year because it would have been really easy to go four and eight. Yep. To have absolutely, or or even six and six. I, I I'll be totally honest with everybody. At the beginning of the year, pregame, I was like, yeah, we're gonna go, we're gonna win eight games. I'm shocked we won eight games. Yeah, I, I'm really surprised we won eight. I, I thought we'd get seven. Um, and, and and to be perfectly frank, Friday was not one of the ones I thought we would get. Um, but you know, I, I again back to my point. You know, and Herman is going to walk in to that very situation again. Um, Charlie, mm-hmm. Charlie almost called him Charlie Brown. Charlie Strong took over a, well, Houston, a, a Houston program that, or a Texas program that, you know, was devoid of talent. Numbers were down, you know, and it was going to be rough sledding. And there's a lot of issues around the Charlie Strong at Houston or Texas thing that didn't work. Um, but he's going to walk. But now, as I've said on Twitter, that takes savvy too. That takes picking your shots too to be able to walk into sure. a good situation and not, you know, not go and you into. You still got to make it work, right? You Absolutely, still make it work. I mean, you still got to put the talent together, and you still got to get them to play. There's, there's, a, there's a talent there too. Don't get me wrong. But what you're talking about is there is a step that he's skipping. Right. And, yep. And you can't, you can't. So, so the question is going to be, because there's, you're at Texas now, okay? So, and he's been at Ohio State as, as offensive yeah. coordinator, but so he understands this is it. Like, right. You have achieved. There's nowhere else to go. You, you can, you can, you can go anywhere else. He goes is at best a lateral move. And, and- and there's the, no there's, nope. there's nowhere else up. Nope, there's no there's no further up. And, and the comparison in age is not valid, but the comparison to me that that you know Gary Parish and, and I think even Chris Vernon said about Tubby Smith at Memphis. Memphis has always won. Tubby has won wherever he's been. So there's no reason to think that Memphis won't win with Tubby. And it's the same thing. Texas has always won. And so far, Tom Herman has won and won big everywhere he's been. So there's no reason to think he won't succeed at Texas. But, you know, I, I just, I think that the job, and, and again, to prove my, prove my non-homerism here, uh, I think the job that PJ Fleck has done at Western Michigan is nothing short of miraculous. Um, the job that the Eastern yeah. Michigan coach did to get them to a bowl game this year is a program that's had, I think, three winning seasons in 30 years. To get them to a bowl game is nothing short of miraculous. And there is something to be said. And, and look, Justin did not Justin did not walk into a beautiful, easy street job at Virginia Tech. He worked his tail oh, off this year. Hey, coach of the year. That's yeah. that's that's not bad for for yeah, for a, he, for a he, kid he from Murray State. Well, and he walked into a situation where a Hall of Fame coach is retiring, and so you have to get those kids' attention and go, "Hey, um, I know I'm not uh, Frank Beamer, but let's try something different." And not only are they doing it, but they're going to play for the ACC championship. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's you know, it, it, somebody somebody tweeted or texted me the other day. Could it be? That we just happened to hire back to back two of the best coaches in college football, and I said, "Well, the, the, the book's still out on Mike, but so far, 
you'd have to say, you know, if you were going to rank coaches under 40, he's going to be way up at the top of the list. I mean... Yeah, he, he, you know, the job that Justin did this year, and, and, you know, a few, I know a few Virginia Tech fans, you know, they didn't have a quarterback. And Justin went out and nope. got a, got a guy that was nope. serviceable. They still really don't, but he made somebody who's serviceable and, and got him, like I said, got him to the ACC championship game. Now, admit it, it's a watered down, uh, weaker than usual ACC, but still, your first year, you know, I don't know. You know, Memphis goes Memphis goes eight and four, five and three, finishes third in the league, and we feel great about it. You know, Justin walks into Blacksburg and and, and wins his half of the conference. Um, yep. So you got to feel good about that. So congratulations to him. This is the best scenario you can have. Your team still plays well. The coach that leaves, his team plays well. Everybody's happy. That's right, and and we got a good coach, and and Virginia Tech got a good coach, and everybody's happy. So the coaching carousel's in full full steam, and it came out. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, Bruce Feldman tweeted out this afternoon that late this evening, actually, while I was eating at Panera, uh, as Jason, as as my uh, my buddy Jason Huckleberry just said, uh, you know, when I made the comment about so many boots, so many leggings, the official uniform of Panera, he said uh, the female Han Solo convention. So while I'm at the female Han Solo convention, uh, Bruce Feldman tweets out that Willie Taggart has become a leading candidate to take over at Oregon. Um, that's a very interesting fit for me. I, I think. He's a nut, although he's kind of in the middle because he took over a pretty morbid uh, Western Kentucky program and and kind of got them righted and headed down the right path, and then was really he really did the same thing at, at USM. Yeah, he was they, they really bad his first year. He was really bad his first year and struggled a bit last year, and and frankly proved me wrong this year. And and I said they were going to have to show me, and boy did they ever! And you know the best record in school history, um, ten and two. He and people who don't know Willie Taggart played at Stanford for Jim Harbaugh actually, um, so he he understands that West Coast thing. And this was remarkable to me. This is the first coach outside of Oregon that they have hired in over thirty five years. Meaning they didn't move yep. somebody up. You go prom- back to Brooks, Bellotti, yep, Chip Kelly, and then Helfrich. Helfrich. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and, just and right, right, because Brooks retired. Yep. Didn't he coach in the NFL after that for a while? Uh, am I crazy? Was he at, Kent- did, did was he he at Kentucky? Was he at Kentucky? Yeah, he was at Kentucky. Um, he fishes every day now. You know, he lives the dream. Um, and I want to say he was in the NFL. I think the NFL was after that, too. Cause I think that's what he left to go do yeah, was the I think, NFL. I think he coached the Rams yeah, for something a couple like. of years or something. But, but anyway, but, but so he quote-unquote retired and then unretired as coaches do. And then Bilotti was there for. Ever and I mean forever. Mike Bellotti was the coach there for what fifteen years? I think so. Um, a long time. And then I mean, Chip Kelly's time. there, what five, six years, something like that. And then Helfrich was in his fifth year, fourth or fifth year. Um, and by all accounts, Mark Helfrich is one of the best and one of the nicest guys, and and the most humble and and funny uh, down earth coaches. And and what people tend to forget. And I said this a lot when when we were going through the whole Larry Porter thing. Um, you know the the all you got as as I forget who it was, but somebody on uh, either MemphisTigers.org or Facebook called it the all you got to do crowd. Well, all you got to do is fire the coach. Well, 
what we tend to forget as fans, and, and this is remarkable to me, how sports is the only thing I think, well, it's probably not true of society today, but we're not going to go there. But used to, sports were the only area where you didn't give a damn about your fellow man and you had no compassion. Let's fire the bum. Let's get him out of here. What do these kids mean they want to go to the NFL? They need to stay in school and they're getting a free education. Right. And it's the only area. And, and, and half these kids, half the people that are saying this, not only have they never played college football, some of them have never stepped foot on a college campus. But it's you know, the. We, you know, we call them sidewalk fans. It, or, or as I like to call the Tennessee contingent, the Dirt Road alumni. It is the, but it is the only thing in the world where we have no compassion and no thought for, okay, so Mark Helfrich gets fired today, or, or let's go back to Friday, whenever it happened. Charlie Strong gets fired. Tom Herman takes over and immediately announces that he's going to retain none of Charlie Strong's right. staff. Right. What's that? Twelve coaches, probably After meeting with them for for a full ten minutes each. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah. that's yeah. Well, and and that look, to, yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to single Tom Herman out. That's that's how no, it no, works. No, 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 no. no. I, I can tell you that those coaches would have much rather him never even done anything. They yep. would don't waste my time. Yep. Bringing me in for a ten minute, you know, cursory interview. They would rather him walk in. Go, guys, sorry. You know, I'm bringing my own people. Direction. Yeah, I mean, we're going to move in a different direction. Good luck. Deep, look, they're, they're coaches. They understand. They, they've probably, they're probably in their 15th house in the last you know, 20 years. This is not new to them. But to, to, to do you know, some garbage, excuse my French, like that, um, it's just, it's just, that's just bad. But, so anyway, but that's my rant on that. Yeah, but, the, the but point... Here, here, Here's the deal. What you're getting at is no, nobody even thinks about nope. those assistants. Let's just fire the bomb. Because, because you understand that the head coach, Charlie Strong, my understanding, and I've talked to several people, um, some media people, that believe that he is not going to take another head coaching job because Texas is on the hook for $10 million next year. That was part of his buyout. And if he takes a job, then there's an offset. So whatever he makes, oh, I, I think he likes to coach too much. I, th- I think he enjoys the game way too much. I, I think he'll take a. You may be right, John, but right now, as of th- that day, he was like, "Screw this! I'm going to take a year off. You're paying me my ten million." Well, well, the only reason that, that to me he should take a year off is to see what opens next year. Um, but you know, back to my point. You know, we 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 want to fire the bum. We want to throw the bum out. But that's not just twelve. Like Coverville. Right, Tommy Coverville. Who probably deserves it, but his assistants might not. So now we've dis- we, we've unemployed thirteen people. Most of these coaches right. have kids, have wives, oh. um, yep. and, and even, they don't have multi-year contracts. No, and like and, and even though they're used to it, and even though it is part of the territory, and Norvell tell you, hey, I slept in my car. You know, I stayed in Tulsa while my wife stayed here. Even though they're used to it, they're still people, and. So, you know, I always caution people when they're like, oh, we need to fire that SOB. He sucks. He's terrible. Well, you're not just firing him. You're displacing a family. Look, they get compensated. Even assistants are compensated very well for the pressure which they are under 
and what comes with the territory. But that being said, there's still people, and sports is the only area where we seem to forget that they're people and that they're not just paid monkeys in a circus for us to, you know, watch through the watch through the looking glass. They are actually people, and it just it gets tough sometimes to hear fans say that. Now, the flip side of that is the crap like Tuberville polls, where mm-hmm. you know you can't forget who's paying your damn salary, son. You know that guy Correct. you told to go to hell and get a job. Uh, he may have a job, and he may be paying for a whole lot of stuff at that university. And guess what? You're about to not have a job. So, you know, it is a two-way street, but, but you know, I, I make that point about Helfrich that it's easy to go, oh, you know, throw that guy out. He went to a national championship game in his second year. And, and, we're, ready, and we're ready to throw the guy out. And, and, I, you know, I don't pretend to understand the intricacies of – Oregon football, you know, and we'll, we'll, you and I will go back and forth about this. I don't understand how you fire Les Miles, who's won ten and a half games a year, to hire Ed Orgeron, and that to me just it blew my mind <laughs> well, that I said for three days that they didn't fire, you know, Les Miles to hire Ed Orgeron, and I'll be damned if that crazy Cajun dude didn't pull it off. <laughs> did got, I not tell you what was going to happen? You did, um, and and I, and I, I just I think LSU is going to be back here in three years. I, I just. Well, and look, they may be, but I will tell you this: um, there is that is a different place from anywhere I've ever been in this country, and it's great. It's a wonderful place to go visit. It's a wonderful place to you know spend time. But those people are are, are different, and you have to you have to realize that. And one of the things that Orgeron understood was how to work. That crowd, uh, you know, he's from there. He understands it. He understands how to speak their language. I said from the beginning, once he became the interim, he'll never let it go. He, he knows how to work. And and, and let's and let's let's add this: he was one yard away from going five and one, with the only loss being ten to nothing to Alabama. Yeah, so but 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 here, he did a damn good job too. He, but here's my thing: he was. He did the same damn thing that Les Miles would have done on that fourth, on that play on the goal line against Florida. It was no different. And, and it was no, and the game plan against Alabama was no different than it would have been. And, and now, here's what he's got to do to keep now, the job. Now, this is Tigers tonight, I know, and it's Memphis Tigers, not Alabama. But what he's got to do to keep the job is he's got to go out and get himself an offensive coordinator. Because. Yeah. And look, I support anyone. I will support them for president if they never run that damn straight lead toss ever again. I, I, I will support them for president. And I watch LSU last week, and what do they do? They run it twice during the same game. And it just it it blows my mind that, okay, so we fired Les Miles because we were tired of this offense, and we were tired of this, and we were tired – but then the guys do it. Called the the plays are the same, and unless he goes out and gets a offensive coordinator, uh, Dave Aranda did sign and is going to stay. Uh, you know, signed a three year deal to stay as a defensive coordinator. That's who I thought should have got the head coaching job, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you, you know, when it was clear they weren't going to get and, Jimbo and, Fisher, and he, and he threw off his his college roommate. Yeah, who was Tom Herman. Yeah, I mean. I, 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 when I read that, I was like, "Oh man!" I mean, like, I don't. I, I think if my college roommate called me, like, I know he, he called me right now. I, I mean, I'd go right now. 
but um, but but my thing is with with the yeah. LSU job is yeah, and I get what you're saying. It's a different atmosphere. It's a different. It's complicated. It, it, it is. It's a com, It's a more complex situation than. It's a different. It, I'm not saying it's as good of a job or as bad. It is the most complicated job in the country because there are yep. so many factors. But here's the here's the reality of the situation, and I just keep going back to this. They fired a coach that won ten and a half games a year, and. Yep. If Ed, if Ed Orgeron now ever, you know, he's like the second string quarterback right now. He's the most popular guy in the state of Louisiana. He goes okay. five and seven. Okay, if he does that, he's in hot water. He's in hot, and it and it won't take long. And that, you know, that to me is what's really but I don't changing college. Going to happen? He's going to first off, he's going to recruit his ass off, and 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 on top of that, he will get a good offensive coordinator. But that, again, that's all beside the point. I, I can tell you who I've been told, but nobody's going to believe me, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, and if if it goes down and that guy leaves, just remember it's because he was sleeping with the head coach's daughter. So just just know that if you when you see if, if, if it's who I've heard ends up at that as the offensive coordinator in LSU, just remember I told you that. Um, so, but um, well, I hope it's nobody over the age of about. 28 then no no and and, and when you and when you if, if it does happen you'll look hey go oh yeah i could see that happen totally so um <laughs> but um but so so as we you know try to try to bring this back to memphis and and that is um you know now that we've won our eight games and i i've tweeted this out and i think this is amazing if we win our bowl we will have the exact same number of wins we had last year which, if you if I had told you, we would match last year's win total back in July. I don't think I think I could have won a lot of money. Yeah, and off a lot of people. I agree, and and you know it's just it's a testament to what Mike Norvell has done and what this staff, what and Chip Long, what Chip Long staff. has done, and and you know just you know Chris Ball, the job they have done this year, and and um. Just the entire staff has done just an incredible job this year of of facing adversity. Um, and who'd have thought that our worst loss of the year would be to Ole Miss? Would be the one game that you look yeah. back and go, ah, "We should have beat those guys." Um, so, well, I mean, they were. It was a totally different team at that point. They Ole Miss first, obviously, they had they had the quarterback. So there's that. Um, <clears throat> their defense was. Pretty good, although although I thought Memphis revealed that their defense was just fair, uh, even in that game. And then the other, the real thing that Ole Miss had was they had those wide receivers. They had a quarterback and those wide receivers that are just amazing. And, and we struggled to cover their wide receivers because they probably have a couple of guys that are going to play in the NFL. Um, and when Kelly went down, it was like a house of cards. I mean, everything just fell apart. So the Tigers go eight and four on the year. Um, most likely yep. headed to the Boca Raton Bowl. I'll be shocked yep. if it's anywhere else. Uh, pro- probably to play a CUSA probably school. Play Western. Probably Western who, Kentucky. Who, 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 Either Western, yeah, Western Kentucky or Southern Miss, I think, are probably the two most likely candidates. Um, I'd much yep. rather have Southern Miss than Western Kentucky. Um, 
just because I'd like to win right. the ball game. I mean, other than, other than well, Brom, you know, Brom. Well, I, I just think we match up better with Southern Miss than we do Western Kentucky. I mean, you know, I think that that Western Kentucky-Memphis game would be a 62-58 type of deal. I mean, but then there's some people say, well, that's what the bowls are all about. Um you know, but the problem you have is if you're Memphis, you close on this high note by beating Houston. And if you go to a bowl game and you get beat by a Conference USA or a Sun Belt team, that kind of brings right. it back. Um, I think, it, it, I'll it be perfectly honest, I think if Memphis, yeah. uh, you know, close the season like we did, and if we go and we win our bowl game, especially convincingly, I won't be shocked at all if we're not ranked to start next year, um, which would obviously be another first in program history, because we're stacked next year. Um, so I want to go on now to the American Athletic Conference, uh, all conference teams let's, that were announced today. Let's, let's start. Let's start with something a little more positive than where I, I know you're going. Hey, how, is, how how about it? Four years in a row, we've had the special teams player of the year. Absolutely. Right. And, and how about how about I, I don't think he's going to win Coach of the Year, but but Mike Norvell will probably finish second or maybe third. Coach of the Year. I, I, I would have had well, well, they gave yeah, Coach, Coach Ken gave it. Yeah, he won the award. They gave the award today for Coach of the Year. I'm sorry. Um, I would have, I would have, I, 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 I would have had Norvell fourth on my ballot. Um, really behind who? The job that Coach Ken did this year, Nia Tamalu. The job no, that he did this no year. Um, Matt Rule did an incredible Tiger? job this year. And, well, you know, you could even put him fifth because Taggart did a great job. And the guy that everybody overlooks, and I overlooked him, how about the job Philip Montgomery did at Tulsa this year? Great job, but yes, and yes, no, I get it. And look, you know, because I did this comparison online today, if, if you're talking about coach of the year, how did you do head-to-head? He lost all four guys I would put in, or, or all but one of the guys I would put in front of him. Um, and lost to Tulsa okay. pretty convincingly. And not that Norvell didn't do a great job, but I, I, look, I've, I said this when Justin was here. I'll be damned if you're going to tell me there is a league in America better top to bottom. We have one maybe, and, and we'll add, you know, we'll pretend Herman's still at Houston for the sake of this argument. We have one bad coach in the entire conference. You know, the jury's still out on Scotty yep. Montgomery at ECU. Diaco is a terrible coach. He he is he might be one of the worst coaches in America. You, you're, you're already kicking Coverville out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, but Tommy at least has a pedigree. He's won. Um, it hasn't been good this year. But people forget, two years ago he won the league. He and Memphis tied to win the league. So it hasn't been great, but he, he's got a good pedigree. But Diaco's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you've got, you know, you've got Matt Rule. You know, the jury's still out a little bit on Scotty Montgomery. They were under, they were undermanned this year, but only ended up, Zay Jones only ended up setting the NCAA single reception, uh, single season reception record. That's all, the wide receiver. Uh, Scott Frost at UCF is very good. Uh, obviously, Coach Taggart at USF is very good. And I can't believe his name has left me. Uh, the coach at Tulane, uh, uh, oh, uh, Fritz! Yeah, Willie, Willie Fritz. Fritz. They're mm-hmm. going to Darn be good. Darn good coach. You know yep. he he got four wins out of that bunch this year. Uh, coach Ken obviously at Navy. Coach Norvell at Memphis. Uh, we'll so we'll just say for now. SMU. How can you? Chad Morris, Philip Montgomery. 
fine. Todd Herman leaves. Tom Herman leaves. Todd Orlando, Major Applewhite, both would be fine head coaches in this league. You just look top to bottom. I mean, and look, I'm talking SEC. I'm talking ACC. You just go top to bottom, and you find me a league that has this well, many good coaches. Look at, look at the best two openings that this this offseason have. Texas, what's the second one? Oregon. Probably Oregon. Right? Both going to be yeah, AC, I mean, AAC guys. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah. The, the, the third one is Purdue. They're probably going to go with Fleck if – if he doesn't go to Oregon, um, so and and outside of so so if you talk about where our conference ranks in terms of they're not going and poaching, Texas could have could have and this is no exaggeration, Texas could have literally hired anyone they wanted outside of maybe five guys, literally like. If they had wanted McIntyre from Colorado, they could have got him. If if they wanted, um, I, I mean, I can't think of outside of maybe uh, Saban. If they wanted an SEC coach, they probably could have gotten him. If they think of one, they couldn't. Uh, the only ones they couldn't have gotten, but Saban. Probably they couldn't have gotten Saban. You're probably not going to get Jimbo Fisher. Um, no, you're not. You're probably not. And, and, and you're probably not going to get Dabo Sweeney. You're, and you're likely. and you're you're not going to get Sweeney, and you're not going to get Meyer, and you're not going to get Harbaugh. Um, but other than that, right. Texas calls. I, you're going to listen. I'm going to tell you what. This is something that Oklahoma fans won't hear. If they had called Bob Stoops, I don't know that he could take him the job, but he'd have listened. That's that's and one I'm really surprised that LSU didn't call. I, I just I think you know back to LSU for a minute. I think they made a rash decision. I think they they made a decision well, out maybe. of anger because Oliva was upset that Herman was kind of dragging his feet a little bit, and he said, "Well, you know what? I got a guy here that wants the job," and you just you don't make those sorts of decisions out of anger. But anyway, but you're right, and to, well, anyway. you know, but but I say bring it on. You know, you you know because the SEC's got some weak links. I don't think Mark Stoops is that good of a coach. I don't think Butch Jones is that good of a coach, and that that's really playing out this year. Jer- I don't think Derek Mason is that good of a coach, and uh, somehow, I mean, he just looked. Yeah, you know, I don't he, think he caught a couple of programs that were on the dentist line, and I don't think Butch Jones. I, I will make I will lay this right out here on the line right now. In two years, Butch Jones will not be at Tennessee. Oh, I don't. I don't know that he'll be there next year. I I well, I would I mean, still not be surprised know. if he gets fired this year. Um, I don't think Will Muschamp's a good coach, you know. And you go to the Big Ten, you know, Purdue is open. I mean, I think Kevin Wilson's a pretty good coach in Indiana, and obviously you've got some really good coaches. I don't think Kirk Frentz is very good. Um, I don't think the guy at Rutgers is going to work out that well. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think you, DJ you know, Durkin wait, 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 is great. I want to go back to Kirk Frentz. <laughs> I. I, I, I I I disagree, and I'm going to just say this: the the fact that he's done as well as he has at Iowa is a testament to. Now, could he do that anywhere? No. Does that mean he's a limited coach? Probably, but he's the perfect coach for them. We we have been hearing how great Iowa is for. Oh, I don't know how long Ferentz's been there. I know, and, I know. And I don't he, think they're great. I think they're good. He, he made them good. He is Jeff Tedford. He is that guy that we keep hearing, oh, he's going to be an NFL guy. He's going to be an NFL. 
And they're still at Iowa. I mean, he's still at Iowa for a reason, although they're giving him now an insane amount of money to be mediocre. Um, I know, I know, I know. But, I know. you know, so you're you, perfect but, for them, and, and that's fine. You, but you um, look around the. If you, if you, if you, look, if you want to go to the P5, there, there are some bad P5 schools, bad P5 jobs. And here's what you're real to me, here's what you're really hitting on. There are very few bad AAC jobs. You could argue Tulane. And I'd probably agree with you. You could argue Connecticut. Probably agree with you. Outside of that, now, Navy is great because of their coach and the way he does it. So I'm not sure that that's a clinical great job. But there are very few bad AAC jobs. And I think that's why, from top to bottom, the coaches are so good to me. I mean, think about think – about there is no job outside of probably the, the two that I mentioned, Tulane and and Connecticut, and then probably Navy again, that you can't go to and do well and go to the next level or get paid a lot because those jobs don't I mean none of those jobs are just I mean, Memphis is well, paying Norvell with one one and a half. I mean well, but to be, but you know, to be, you know, we have this talk every year when people you say, "Well, Memphis is a bad job." Memphis is a hard job. Temple is a hard job, but is. they're great jobs because if you come in and do well, you're going to get paid. Yep, a I mean, lot. all Tommy had to do was win seven games a year. There is virtually no pressure on the Memphis coach to win nine, ten, eleven games. Virtually none. Now, that's been ramped up a little bit with Justin. But, you know, Matt Rule, they might build a statue in front of the vet for him. I mean, and he hasn't been just, you know, he's been nine and three. And he's getting paid. Um, And so there's there's a difference in hard jobs and good jobs. And and I just think that the AAC has got a couple of hard jobs. Uh, Memphis is a tough job. Temple is a tough job. I don't think Memphis is tougher than, and I mean, I think... No, no. Now there, there are bad jobs. Like UConn is a horrible job. Like it is almost, it is almost impossible to win there. Tulane is a bad job because it is hard to win there. Um, but, but you know, and it's look, it's not that the USF UCF jobs are cakewalks. Um, East Carolina is another hard job. Um, you know, they just got lucky and had the right guy for a long time, Steve Logan. Um, well, that's not luck. I mean, it takes skill to keep him. But you know, they, they. They're seeing now that that's a hard job. It's a good job because there's not a probably short. I mean, they're they're they're, they're a very um, invested fan base there, and they they support the program, and, and they're they're very involved. But frankly, that's because there's not much else to do in Greenville, North Carolina. But I digress. Um, it's a hard job. It so sucks. when you look in, when you look up and down the standings, you know there, you know. Cincinnati's a good job. It's hard, but it's good. You can be well compensated there. SMU, Houston, yeah, and, pff, you know who wouldn't want those jobs? You're in Texas. So let's go over to the All AAC team. Congratulations, first of all, Offensive Player of the Year, Quentin Flowers, quarterback from USF. Uh, well earned. Only well earned. A, only a junior, uh, unfortunately for for the rest of the league. And but, sh- but 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 they come off the schedule. Yeah, that's what Jeb and I were talking about. Yeah, they, they, yeah, we we are losing them at the right time. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year linebacker from UCF, uh, Shaquem Griffin, who um, actually has one hand. 
I didn't know that about him until I saw it today that Jim Abbott well, tweeted he, he, something. Yeah, he has two, but, one, but I think one of them is deformed or something. Yeah. Yes, you're right. He has one usable hand. Uh, special teams player of the year, Tony Pollard, uh, kick returner for Memphis. Uh, had a pair of kickoff returns for touchdowns. Uh, Tigers have owned this award the last four years. Tom Hornsey in 13, Jake Elliott in 14 and 15. Uh, Pollard is ninth in the country in kickoff returns. Had 993 yards on kickoffs as a freshman. Returned two for touchdowns, finishing the regular season as the only player in the American with more than one special teams touchdown. Rookie of the year, no big surprise here at Oliver, the freshman defensive end, defensive tackle from Houston. Uh, had a hell of a season. Um, Led the conference in, or second in the conference in tackles for loss at 19 and a half and had five sacks, three forced fumbles, nine pass breakups, and seven quarterback hurries. Coach Ken, the coach of the year in the AAC. So let's move to the AAC um, all conference first team. There were two unanimous selections, which blows me away that people could watch American football and not think Quentin Flowers unanimously top to bottom was the best uh, quarterback in this league. Uh, wide receivers, Zay Jones, Keevan Lucas, and Cortland Sutton from SMU. Uh, the offensive tackles, uh, Kofi Amici from Temp- from USF and Deion Dawkins from Temple. Uh, offensive guard, uh, Adam West, Adam West from Navy, and Blake Belcher from Tulsa. Center was Chance Miller, Chandler Miller from Tulsa, Daniel Montiel from Memphis, the first team all conference tight end, quarterback Quentin Flowers, uh, running backs Marlon Mack and James Flanders, um, defensive defensive line Ed Oliver, Justin Lawler, and Hassan Reddick. Reddick, the only other unanimous all team all all league selection. Uh, Tanzel Smart, the um, from Tulane. Uh, on the defensive line, Shaquem Griffin, Eric Wilson, Stephen Taylor, Jannard Avery, Nico Marley, who just finished his 478th year of eligibility at Tulane, finally. Um, and in the, oh, is he finally done? He's done. He's a senior. Your uh, your your corner, Howard Wilson from from Houston, Horace Richardson, SMU, Obi Melifwanu from UConn at safety, and Darren Millinus at safety from. SMU, your kicker Jake Elliott, your punter Spencer Smith, and your return specialist Tony Pollard. So Memphis takes first team in special teams, all three positions. Second team, all ACC: Noel Miller, Rodney Adams, and Anthony Miller. So let, let's stop right there dun, for a dun, second. Dun, dun. <laughs> I went through on Twitter today, and I did a statistical because look, I'm a numbers guy, and that's how I look at things when I'm looking for first team, second team, whatever. Um, and the argument that well, you've got to have you know one player on each team. Uh, SMU had no players on the second team, so you don't give me that crap. How did you watch football that is played in the United States of America, and how did you decide AAC coaches that I just spent ten minutes praising? How did you watch those games and decide? You know what? That Sutton kid from SMU is better than Anthony Miller. I got look. I got no qualms with Zay Jones uh, and Keevan Lucas. No, no, no qualms at all with those two. But how do you watch right. actual football games and and not say Anthony Miller is one of the three best receivers in this league? He had four games you, with more than ten catches. You can't. He, and, That's the bottom line. And, and let, let me let me explain why. Right, let's 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 break this down. First of all, from a defensive standpoint, <clears throat> because for, for long stretches, well, not long stretches, but for stretches of the season, 
Miller was essentially the only experienced wide receiver we had going. And especially in the Navy game, for example. Um, so he was seeing a lot of what we call double coverage. And double coverage doesn't mean literally there's two guys standing in front of him. What it means is you got a safety over the top. So it's called bracketing is another term for this. So you have you have a cornerback a, a, a and a safety guarding you every move you make. And then you're man-to-man elsewhere. So essentially, he was commanding half the field. So what that does is that opens up the game for people like Montiel. And Mayhew, yeah. And Mayhew. So here's, here's what you've got to look at. Does he dominate the game? And does he still get open? Because, and I'm, look, I, I'd be completely honest. I, I didn't watch these other guys as closely as I watched Anthony Miller. But here's what I do know. I know that Anthony Miller was, for the most part, our only deep threat. And he still beat. He, he, the, 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 touchdown, the, the, the touchdown that set up the last touchdown that he caught. He just flat out kicked burned. that guy's butt. <laughs> He burned the cornerback yep. the and then outran the safety. Period. That's all there is to it. He he he. Because as a safety, you're look you you've got the angle, so you're trying to cut off, you know, cut off the man. And he outran the safety. The safety who had probably 15 yards on couldn't catch it. And, and you know, I, I I said I look at it through numbers, not do, but I look at it through another way. Did teams gain? And this this is a yes or no question. And I saw both guys play. Did teams game plan to stop Anthony Miller? Absolutely. Yes. They had to. Did they stop game plan to stop Cortland Sutton? Who? No, they didn't game plan. to. Anthony Miller changed football games this year. Literally by sure. himself, cha- he changed the entire tone of the of the Houston game. By him, well, not by himself, but you know what I mean. To your point that he made a big play. That's right, all because, I'm saying. Because prior that was that was a third and two play, so essentially he comes in and and or maybe third and six or whatever it was. It was, it was I think it's third and two or third and three. So he comes in. He's he he. And remember, I said that they had put him in the slot. So that means he's closer to the safety than he is if he split out wide. So he's closer to the safety. He beats the guy off the line, outruns him, and then outruns the safety. Now, great pass. No, no doubt about it. Great pass by Riley. But he beat two guys to the spot. And it's critical that you understand that there was really nobody else that was going to do that. Nope. There was only one guy that was going to do that, and, and they knew that. So as a defensive back, you're looking, as a safety, you're looking at him, and he still beat you. That is what you look at. If you you find me two other guys, or there's three other guys, right? There's three wide receivers on yep. the team. Yep. There is no damn way there are three guys in that car. And I can think of one off the top of my head because I saw him. I can think of one guy that can do it. Um, but but there is no damn way there are two other guys that can do that. Well, like, those guys may put up numbers. But they're not going to. They're going to put up numbers in the in the context of the team game. 
Well, I, they're not going to dominate. I'm here to tell you, I have no problems with Zay Jones or Keevan Lucas being on the first team because Keevan Lucas killed us, and and he didn't kill us. He killed a lot of folks this year. That man should be charged yeah, with a crime. A and and, and, and again, now now Lucas is the kid from Tulsa, who's. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. He killed us. He killed us two years in a row. He's pretty much. That's right. He's the same size as Anthony Miller. And he's pretty much the same guy. And I have no problem. If you set the NCAA single season reception record and you're not first team all conference, there's a problem. And, and again, I'm not picking on Cortland Sutton. He is a good football player. I watched him play three times this year. He's very good. Um, but I just don't see him on the first team as Anthony Miller on the second team. I just and people are like, well, what does it really matter? Well, it matters to Anthony Miller and it matters oh, it to the matters. kids. It, but it, but it, hey, it, it matters. Here's the good thing: it, Anthony Miller gets to wear that chip on his shoulder next year. And well, I know, but, but there's no guarantees yep. because you never know. He could get hurt. He could. I mean. Who knows? It's just a crime, and and it just, you know, and people used to say this all the time, and I used to blow it off. Um, We are constantly treated like a redheaded stepchild in this league for whatever reason, and and I don't know what the reason is. You know, and it's always little things, and it's little things like this. But it's just like, put Anthony Miller on the damn first team. He's one of the three best wide receivers in the league, and it's, it's not even close. And what coaches watch that film and go, nope, that guy's better than that guy. When there is literally one statistical category out of out of eight or nine that you wait right we rate wide receivers on, there is literally one, and that is yards per catch, where Cortland Sutton ranks at sixteen point four yards a catch and Anthony Miller at fifteen point six yards a catch. Well, was Cortland a senior? No, he's a soft he's a sophomore. And that's the other. See, there's no excuse. The only, the only, the only reason you ever see that normally, John, is if you got a guy, got a guy that's a senior, and then they'll go, "Oh, well, we'll put him on." They're the kid that's junior. He has another year. You do hear that crap, but but aside from that, there isn't. Listen, anybody that coached against him, I guarantee you, it wasn't the defensive coaches that. that, that <laughs> I guarantee that. It, 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 you know, and I get that the numbers do matter, but the way you dominate a game, the, there was a reason why Daniel Montiel was wide open. What, remember the USF game where we said they threw the, the threw the ball to Montiel like four straight times. I, I think it was the USF game, and, and and he was wide open every time. You want to know why? Because Anthony Miller was on the other side of the field, and they rolled. We call rolled up the coverage. That means that they had they had they had two safeties. One of them was standing right over the top of him. The other one was standing in the middle of the field. That's the reason Daniel Montiel was wide open. And it's not an it's it's not um, an accident. Now, good credit to our coaches for seeing this and going, okay, well they're going to leave that side of the field open. We're going to throw to it. Um, but the second they 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 came back. Guess what? Anthony Miller was wide open for a touchdown on that drive. Yeah, I, so, I just I don't want to harp on it anyway, anymore. It's, it's just it's we, it's making me angry. Speaking, but yeah. here, here's what I want. Here's what I want to say. I think he he yes he got screwed. Yes, it matters because you never know. Football is a tough sport. You never know. look. Hey, look. Uh, we'll talk about this next year. But look, there's no guarantees that we're going to play this well next year. You know, right. we can lose three, three, three 
you know, uh, lineman. And next thing you know, I was running for his life. Well, I can't be running much more than he did this year, but <laughs> he, he could. And, and, you know, maybe he's not as effective or whatever. You just never know. The other thing is those coaches are going to have a whole bunch of tape on our offense. And now they're going to be scheming differently. So maybe they try to take Anthony away. I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm just, just saying, you, you can't look at it like that. You can't. You have to give it. If he if he earned it, you give it to him the year he's earned it. It's such a travesty. And speaking of travesties, I want to get into something here uh, as we kind of close the season that has kind of been a recurring theme throughout the year. And and I'm looking for answers. Um, I had, and we've actually had this exact discussion on the show before, but it seems like we need to have it again. When you, when I lose an account at work, it is seldom one exact thing's fault. It, it is very seldom um, pricing or uh, the customer just didn't want to buy or this or I was slow getting the proposal out or this, that, or that. It is seldom where you go, oh, that's that fault. And you're asking, well, John, how's that apply to anything? Well, I have seen, and, and and look, I don't follow many other fan bases. The only other one that I have a couple followers on Twitter are are Florida State, and I got a couple Alabama fans, and and I very rarely see Alabama fans complain about officiating. Now, to be fair, Alabama's twelve and zero, and and probably going to wipe Florida out next week uh, or Saturday in the SEC championship game. Uh, Florida State's the other one I see, and and they just complain about everything. Uh, but anyway, Michigan might have an argument. But but see but see here's my thing. If Memphis loses know, that game Saturday, if we if we something happens and we lose, our fans are gonna go, Oh, well that pass interference that they missed cost us the game. But it's like we don't want to talk about the two dropped pick sixes we had. And and it's like people right. are, are are harping about Oklahoma State. Well, you know, if the referees would have known the rules of the game, then you know, Oklahoma State wouldn't have lost to Central Michigan. Well, hey, here's an idea, stop a Hail Mary that included a lateral. Your Oklahoma State, stop it. Um, don't get inside the 10-yard line and kick three field goals. Um, you know, and Houston, I've seen their fans, well, is the official, don't kick two field goals inside the, when, when you've got Memphis on the ropes, don't kick a 26 and a 25-yard field goal. Um, punch that ball right. in for a touchdown. But having said all that, I had Coach Sales tell me one time after a, a very brutal game, which we lost in which Southwest Tennessee, which those who don't know, I broadcast their games, uh, lost to Walter State in the region championship game. Now, keep in mind, this was about four or five years ago where the only way to get to the national tournament is to win the region. And we were, I want to say, 31-2, and two, ranked number four or five in the country, and we lost. And we lost on a absolutely blown call at the end where almost a second after the buzzer, the Walter State kid tips it in and the referees count the basket. And at that level, you don't have replay and all that. So Walter State ends up going to the national tournament. And so I'm fuming as I'm walking out. Coach Sales just grabs me and he says, that's why you never, ever put it in their hands. And, and, and that's yep. the point I want to make is you never – don't let it – if you're Michigan, don't let it get there. Because I'm not sure if that was a good call or not. I, you know, I haven't – I didn't – I'll be honest. Well, they, Michigan was in complete control of that game. They let it get away from them at the end. You're right. 
but you never should have gotten to that point. But right, and, and um, that's that's usually my point. You know, like Tiger fans are like, oh, they held Anthony Miller, and that cost Memphis the game. No, that didn't cost Memphis the game. Having a poor game plan and not staying at home on the backside of the defense is what cost Memphis the USF game. But but here here's the deal: if you don't well, ever, it, it, uh, yeah, don't yeah, ever, yeah. just don't put it in their hands. But but here is what I will humbly submit to the to the crowd: officiating, especially in college football, is, is horribly broken. In the NFL, I understand why it's hard because there are so many rules, and officials are asked to do too much. And there there are all these gray areas of officiating. Like we always have the joke, you know, oh, is that a catch this week? Is it not a catch? In the NFL, I have no some... idea what a catch in the NFL is. I have no idea. Join the club, and I'm, I'm completely serious. Um, so in the NFL, I kind of understand, and you're also dealing with the best athletes in the world. NBA officiating notoriously horrendous. College basketball officiating, unless you're Duke, notoriously horrendous. But I think college football is the worst. But but here's my question: How do we fix it? And, and I'm being sincere because I, I humbly I, and readily admit it's broken. And, and I submit that here's what here's what here's what needs to happen, and it's never going to happen. But here's what needs to happen: is that you it, because each conference has their own officiate. So each conference then, and, and 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 each conference obviously has different income levels. So in in the case of the lower level conferences, I can tell you right now, the OVC they use local. Uh, high school officials to, to, to referee their game. And that's, so, so the level of training that these guys have, the level of experience they have, um, and you don't get the same guys. What needs to happen is there needs to be, especially in the Division One level, there needs to be a centralized, it, it probably needs to be done by the NCAA, where they hire, they train, and then they hold accountable the officials for each of these games. Okay, all right. You and that's just, what you, needs to be done. You just said something that 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 I don't disagree hold with. Accountable. That's the key. How? But but what exactly does that mean? Because because here here I have I have a few thoughts on why it's so bad. Number one, it okay. takes people entirely too long to get to the top level. And look, y'all can call me names, say what you want to say. You're asking 45 and 50-year-old guys who look more like me and you to keep up with mm-hmm. 17, 18, 19-year-old athletes. You're asking them right. to keep okay. up with, with, with that game. And, and, you know, I'm not going to get into the racial part of it, but you're asking those guys. You're asking me and you, and, and you being much closer to the average than me. Um, to no keep way. up. There's no way I could. I could even. I mean, I, but Larry, no you're out and, there every week, and that's what that's what I think is the problem. And and here's the other thing. I mean, th- this could get. This is a conversation that can get kind of squirrely, but I'm I'm going to go there. You're asking these guys too much. You're not only saying you have to keep up with them. Why can't we get Scott Vogel interest? And I'm just picking him out of a hat. Why can't we get Danny Wimpron interested in officiating and have a program that, hey, you're probably not going to play – I'm trying to think of somebody on the current Memphis roster. Well, um, I, I, but I get, what you're, I get what you're saying. Get, get guys who have played, 
who are closer in age, and we've had this discussion on the show before, and, and, and you're actually saying, you know, go and pick those guys up that, 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 that aren't going to be playing. And don't want to be a coach. Or, or even are playing arena league or whatever. Right. To, to, and, and, and they can be officials. And, again, that's going to go back to, is that possible? Absolutely. But there's going to be a cost associated with that. And, therefore, you can't, here's what you can't do. And the reason it's so bad and it varies from location to location is that you're leaving it up to the conferences to hire, train, and then ultimately hold accountable these officials. Here's the problem with that. And this is what puts doubt in people's minds. Because those conferences, and these, these all could all be straight-up guys who, who you know don't have any agendas, but those conferences have agendas. Absolutely. And, and therein lies the problem. Too much money at stake. It, 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 let, let, me, let me put it a different way, okay? Let's say, and I don't think it's going to come to this, but let's say that this is a close game between Florida and Alabama. Now, again, all those officials may be straight up, and there may be absolutely nothing behind it. But if there's a close call that goes to Alabama's way in the back of everybody's mind, whether they say it or not, is did the SEC just rig this because they know if Florida wins, they ain't going to be a damn team from the SEC in the playoffs. Because here's here's how I judge it, and you're dead on, Larry. If the Anthony Miller play happens to O.J. Howard in the back of the end zone, do they throw the flag? Every time. I would time. think yes. Every time. I, 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 but, 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 but here's the problem. Again, it, it, this is why it has to be independent of each conference. It has to be a, a, a separate entity that does this. Well, and and and. and, and and that's what it's going to be. Yeah. And until they do that, John, if there's always going to be this, for one thing, think about the amount of money the SEC brings in versus CUSA. It's not even close. They they may be Division One, but it's but but that's the only thing they have in common. But see, so the, the CUSA cannot possibly pay these guys enough, John. They can't. Well, they got to go and get. They're not going to get the best one. I don't disagree with that, but but I think that all of these points are how to fix it. We've got to get somehow, we've got to get younger guys involved in this and not make a guy toil in the OVC for 12 years to get called up to we do it. We had to, young guys, dude. Man, we had, dude, there weren't young guys there. But but that's I mean, not, I don't, I, don't how, mean, I don't know how they worked their way up. I don't mean young, young in year, but I'm, what I'm saying to you is, we make guys toil at the lower levels. You know, you've got to start as a high school official, and then you move up to a. And I'm making this up, but you move up to a Division right, two right, ref, right, right. Know, and then you move but, FCS. And so, by the time you get to F, by the time you get to FBS, you're 46 years old. And, and the other thing that people don't understand: these dudes have jobs. Like they they have yeah, demanding full time jobs. Right, right. I used to work for a printing company here in Memphis. And um, one of our sales guys was a was a college basketball referee as well. He's working four games a week and working his job. So you think yep, that's that's set by you think that Sunday afternoon 
uh, Tulane, Georgia Southern basketball tilt in New Orleans is going to get his full attention? No, but what gets his attention is he gets that first-class airfare ticket and he puts the first-class difference in his pocket and, and drives to the game. And he gets that per diem and he puts it in his pocket and he gets what he gets paid. And not that a lo- most... I don't even know that I can comfortably say most officials do a good job now because every week and it's and this is where I don't know about your conference thing. Every week in every league you can look and go, man, these guys completely host you know, and I'll go back to this. The the Central Michigan Oklahoma State game, it is inexcusable for an official that is an officiating a division and FBS football game to not understand the rules. Like that that that's inexcusable. You can miss a call. Like the call Memphis USF, it was a kind of bang bang play. I easily see how you could miss that call. I mean, I, you sure. know, I, I see how you could miss Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. But to I not don't like it. I don't like it, but I see how you could miss it. But to not know how to properly apply rules, not only you, but the idiots up in the replay booth who don't catch it. So the system is so broken, but I just don't think we ever fix it until what you said is true, until we take the conferences out of it. But then do you pay, and it's and it's why I've always kind of hedged against paying players. Do you pay the guy that does a, a Troy-South Alabama game the same as the guy that does Alabama-Auburn? Do you pay those guys the same no 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 they no here's the thing that that guy gets assigned that game and and he may play a working sec game later the week it doesn't matter he is he is an official it's just like the nfl does should, should the guy who who referees the um the bears who the hell would they play in San Francisco this weekend? Should he get paid less just because both those teams suck? No, he shouldn't. So it doesn't. It shouldn't matter if he's refereeing Troy and Georgia State, or if he's refereeing Alabama and Auburn. The guy should have the same training and he should have the exact same pay. It shouldn't matter. You're well, an NCAA official. Well, and, and I'll bring up, and, and I don't know how the college game works, so I can't really speak to that, but. Um, and I think we've actually had this conversation on the show before. I was fortunate enough when I was working for myself to, I got to install DSL at Jeff Triplett's house. A lot of people don't know Jeff Triplett's an NFL official, been an NFL referee for a long time, lives in Oxford. Very right. nice man. Yep. I got to sit down with him for an hour and say, how do you do it? Because he's, he's an attorney by day. He, he will work a game on Sunday. He will hopefully, he says, get the early game. You know, he said, you know, you would think that all the officials want the Sunday night, Monday night game. The last thing we want is a Sunday night, Monday night. We all want the the blowout, the two, the one good team, one bad team, Sunday afternoon. Let's get the hell out of Dodge and get home. So he'll get home. He said, if I ref a noon game, I'm home at 7.30 on Sunday night, maybe 8 o'clock by the time I get showered and on the plane and, and home. Uh, he said, actually, closer sure. to 9 because I drive an hour from Memphis to Oxford. I fly into Memphis, fly in and out of Memphis. Uh, not really. Well, it is kind of relevant the story. I get home nine o'clock, hug my wife, talk to my kids, put my kids in bed. He said, "Now with the advent of technology, I have the game film. I watched three or four hours of game film." Now keep in mind, he refereed. He he chased. Um, oh, uh, heck, uh, Demarco Murray around all day as the referee. Oh, he and he flies home and he gets to sit down and, and now it's nine thirty at night. He's eating a bite of supper, and he's watching the game film. So he's going to watch film for three hours. Gets up, goes to his job 
the next day. Monday night, or Monday sometime during the day, has a conference call with the head of NFL officials. That They then go over the game. And then right. that night... Yep. That he gets a tape of what he did wrong and what what the crew screwed up and what you know where they made mistakes and how sure. they could get better. So now he reviews that tape. He's got the same thing. He has to meet with the team's representatives on Tuesday. Uh, meet with one team on Tuesday. Meet with the other team on Wednesday. Thursday is a work day. Finally, he can just work. Well, he's probably got a conference call with the uh, to find out his assignment for the next weekend. Uh, Friday. He's looking at game. He he watches has to watch film of the two teams he's going to see on Sunday, and they all have a conference call on Thursday and Friday usually. Um, Saturday he watches film all day, and then or, and until Saturday afternoon, then he goes and gets on a plane. That's Jeff Triplett's week. Um, and during, the season. during the season, and it's ridiculous. It, it's too much to expect of someone. And, and I imagine, and this is just a guess. College officials are much the same, where they've got full-time jobs and they've got all these expectations. Well, well, but I doubt there is there is there is a head of officials, but I doubt that he watches. They watch film and stuff like that. I doubt it. Now, but I, they I don't should. Those guys, but, but they well, should. I mean, you're, you're, that's a whole different question. Well, no, it's not but because now, Memphis. What, what the NCAA should have is that exact scenario, John. They should have that where you get reviewed. And, and they send you to hey, this is what you did wrong. This is this is how you grow as an official. But but, but I doubt, and, and almost like I doubt very seriously that Conference USA or or even the AAC has anything resembling that. But but here's the problem. So you go and and you're right, you know. And somebody said to me earlier this week, you've got to hold them accountable. Well, what in the hell does that really mean? Because now what you're going to do if you start crapping on these guys that you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars a game or whatever it is they get paid, if you start crapping right. on them by by chastising them and and you know everybody's like, well they should be publicly scored. Well that's fine. I'm going to come to your job and I'm going to publicly score you. Well, well, I don't want that. Well, it's sure. the same thing. So now you, you crap on these guys during the week. So you know what eventually they're going to do? They're going to like, there ain't enough money in this for me. I'm not going to do it anymore. So now you're at a shortage. I just think that, that there has got to be, and I don't trust, look, I wouldn't trust the NCAA to do my worst enemy's taxes. Um, I wouldn't, I understand. I wouldn't trust them but to I do Tommy Tuberville's taxes. But, the, but it does. It has to come out of the conferences and it has to go to a body that says, look, we have a pool of, how many ever games there are on a specific Saturday. Um, and there should never be a case where a guy works one game on Thursday and works another one on Saturday. That's ridiculous. The human body can't take that. we got to get younger guys, more athletic guys, who know the game and are closer to the game today because the game has changed. And, and that's the other thing. A lot of these guys that have been doing this a long time, they've seen the evolution of the game. And are they ready for the changes in the game? Because, look, you got to call the game differently today. I mean, you just have to. You can't call – because you could literally call holding every play. You could literally call down lineman downfield every single play. And you just can't do that. So you have to be adaptable. And I think that's what hurts a lot of these guys is, is they're not adaptable. And then the idiots you've got up in the replay booth – and a lot of it, too, relies on the fact that the guys on the field say, you know what, if we got it wrong, it, it, it's not important that I make this call because I'll have a backup. I'll have the guy in the booth to back me up. I do, I do agree with that 100%. Make the call. And, 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 and own it. And the time the guy's in the replay booth, 
don't want to change because that you know oh well there's not enough there's the cost the, the play call the play stands is called um wait a minute your your job is, right. is to not worry about what they call worry about what you see that's right and and if you see with you know it's it's sort of like like Saturday I, as far as Michigan goes I, I would put my paycheck that he was short but I don't know that. And I don't think anybody in the replay booth could know that. And so, and, and so you sort of have to trust the guy that's standing right there. So that yep. side of it, I get. But if you see something, call it. It's not hard. I mean, it, it, you know, really, it's not hard. If you see something, you got to call it. And 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 I, again, I know the NFL is just—it's just, it's, it's not fair to compare college and NFL. But what is fair to say is you can use that model. And to improve officiating, and right now, what I think—and and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth—but I think what you're trying to say is, it's not getting any better. Nope. And we need to figure something out to make it better. Because here, have, it doesn't have to be NFL, but it needs to be better. Because here's the realism of it: people are getting tired of watching it. And and, and I know that football is never going to go away, and it's very popular. It's never been more popular than it is right now, and whatever. But people are getting tired of watching. These games come down to bad calls. I mean, they just you just get tired of it. It's it's why, frankly, it's one of the two reasons I don't watch the NFL anymore. I don't watch the NFL anymore because I don't think, you know, this is a grander discussion for a different podcast, but I don't think quarterback play is worth a damn. It's boring to watch the NFL now. Outside of like five guys, it's boring. And officiating so bad. You know, you know a guy goes to the ground with the ball and it's like, well, pfft. That might be a catch. It might not. You know, and, and that just that no, gets that, old. The, the catch, the catch rule is bad. But again, and, and, and that's, kind of that's a rule. Right. But that's a rule thing. That is a there's too much and gray you can area. Fix that. They can fix that. But we have the same problem in college because we have the vague phrase of football move. What the hell is a football move? To some guys, it's two steps. To some guys, it's turning. To some guys, it's stuck in the head. To some guy, and, and it's different for everybody. But. I just think we have got to fix it because it's it's gotten to the point where it's ridiculous. And, and I'm not saying officials decide games because I'm huge on that bandwagon of officials not deciding games. I, I don't think officials decide games. I think teams decide them. Officials can make bad calls that can make a that can change the tone of a game. But you've just got to be better and overcome and win the game. I mean that's that's the bottom line. And speaking of winning games, overcome. You have to overcome. <laughs> and speaking of winning games, Memphis won eight this year, going for number nine in yep. a soon to be announced bowl game. Would not be prouder nope. of this team. Would I'm not, I'm more and, and, I'm more proud. I think of this team than I am even the 2014 team. I think I'm more proud. The team that won the conference championship, I'm more proud of this no, team. No, no, no. And I'll tell you why. I think you're right in this sense. Because I think that in no way did I honestly believe, not thinking about what we've accomplished here, um, this team won, what, four straight games at one point. Yep. Um, we handed Temple their only conference loss. We beat a ranked opponent for the second straight year on ABC, um, and on ABC. That's right. So, so this is a team that has accomplished a whole heck of a lot. I think. I, I think talent wise, offensively, now John, I, I know this is hard to believe, but I think offensively, this team may be. They're not quite as good as last year's team, 
but they're really close. Have you guys talked about and how poised Riley Ferguson looked at the last two minutes of that game on Houston? We 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 talked. We kind of touched on he, that. He looked so good. He threw the ball away when he had to. He put the ball where he needed to put <laughs> yeah. it. He looked great. He yeah. that I said in the second half of that Tulsa game. I texted Larry and I said the light bulb came on. Oh my gosh! And the, yeah, the that last drive of that Houston game, and we did talk about it. The pass he threw to Mayhew is the best, probably the best throw he's made all year. And then to hit Miller and on it, the slant. It, it rivals anything Paxton did. Yep. Seriously. Oh, I yeah. Mean, it's not quite as good as the Ole Miss Paxton. Oh, no. No. He made two, he made two throws to Moe's Frazier that were just stupid, ridiculously yeah, good. Yeah, that's going to be the, that's going to, that game is going to live on in infamy for, ti- for but, Tigers but, but under, for years. But, under, but understand. What 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 I'm talking about here is throwing the ball yep. between two defenders that are right there. Both of which just, one is on the first team all conference and the other's on the second. He didn't throw that against me and Gill. He he threw I mean, it to two he, legitimate I mean, DBs. We're not, yeah, we're not talking Ray Charles and and, <laughs> and, and and you know I mean we're not talking three blind mice. He he put it on a dime and, and, and I. And and, and the, the 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 third down touchdown pass to to, to Miller, where, where, and really that changed the game because Memphis had just lost the lead, and then he just throws it. Now look, Miller did a great job beating both those guys, but that's a perfect pass. Yeah, and, and, I, and I I think Gill used the exact right word, and, and he's shown it. As the season is poised, and, and and I think that that is what we can hang our hat on as we move to next year. That you know, there were times earlier in the year where you know I wasn't calling to bench Riley, but I was just saying let's get him out of the game for a series. You've or two. never been a huge Riley Ferguson fan. I, I have not been a huge Riley Ferguson fan, but I I will always admit when I'm wrong, and he has proven me wrong in the second half of the season. But, you know, I was never, oh, bench that guy. That guy stinks. I was like, let's take him out for a series, let him see the game, and put him back in. And that's kind of what happened when uh, Stewart came in. Yep. That, I think that I think that's another excellent point. Jason Stewart having to play that Cincinnati and game. And playing well. And playing well. Because I think that's what the staff maybe was afraid of earlier in the year is, can we do the same things? And no, we can't, but... Jason Stewart gives you a whole other dimension offensively that Riley really doesn't. But, hey, hats off to Riley. Also, that people are forgetting on that last drive, scampered for 12 yards in a first down right yeah, before he, he threw that pass to Mayhew. Probably- it, it, it wasn't the most graceful. <laughs> it worked. I've ever seen. I mean, Who is it that said it looked like a newborn deer? <laughs> <laughs> a deer that just learned how to walk. But he, but he, but he, but he did it nonetheless. I, I swear, like watching him try to slide is is it's sort of like watching you know when my, when my when my daughter was was in her like her walker and she was walking around the house and then she just sort of stumble over like, it's like that like watching him he falls for like a month yeah <laughs> yeah like he slipped on a banana peel yeah. or something like that it's like one of those yeah. it's one of those cartoon falls yeah but I, I think yeah, that I, I think. Wait, 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 wait. I think poise is the absolute right yeah. word, and I think this entire team showed a lot of that because after that Tulsa game, it would have been real easy to just drop the rest of the games and end up five and seven and be done. But they really showed something, and and I I think that's an excellent point. Stewart playing in that Cincinnati game, Raleigh could have gone back in the game, but Stewart playing and playing well, I think 
kind of because Raleigh is one of these guys that when he gets wound up, he just kind of gets wound up, and there's no we didn't we could never put anybody in the game. You know, Brady Davis getting hurt this year was huge too. Um, because he was a guy yeah. that you could have pulled Raleigh out for a series, put Brady out there to calm everything down, and then bring Raleigh back in. But I agree. I think the poise on that last drive was just remarkable. And to- like even when he threw the like he he had a like my my favorite throw was him throwing the ball away. Yeah, right. Hey, like I, he didn't have a throw and he threw the ball away. I was like, wow, that's the best decision that you've made. Yeah. The the conviction he showed on that last drive was just it remarkable. was amazing. It was remarkable. It was yeah. it, it was a uh, quite quite a finish to quite a tumultuous and adventurous season, and I, I can't believe it's over. Um, we did our first show on August 23rd, and it feels like we did our first show two weeks ago. Yeah, um, it, it it's, really does. It's been a it's been a wild year. Um, the bowl game, if it ends up being Memphis Western Kentucky, promises to be a um, a wild affair as well. And it'll be interesting to see next season um, where the Tigers come out. They just lose one offensive lineman, Chris Great Roberson. Schedule. Yeah, Great schedule for us next season. Great schedule. We're right now. Week two is TBA. I'm hoping we get a road con. We can't play at home in week two, but I'm hoping we get a road conference opener so that we don't have a week two bye again next year. I don't Tulane. think. Please be too late. Please be too late. No, we can't because we are at Tulane this year. Damn. Yeah. Um, probably, probably UCF. That's, that's what I'm hearing is most likely we will probably go to Orlando. Uh, that second week of the season. Well, Gil, yeah, that'd be hot, yeah. Gil, it's been a load of fun this year. This has been a oh man, it, it has been fun hanging out with you guys, talking about Tigers football. One of my favorite things to do, and I'm gonna miss it. Yeah, can't I can't believe the season's over. Dude, you guys are hugging. I'm glad I'm not. In the- We're hugging <laughs> group hug. Group and hug. Larry, great job by you as always, and I appreciate you being well, there for you. me every week and. uh and pitching in and and uh, providing great insight each and every week for us. You're the best, and this has been. You know, I get the itch. Like, well, I'll have the itch by April, but but by by July, like, it's just insufferable. Yeah. And and and, and so there's like 13 weeks of this, and then it's over, and you're just like, man. And my, they, they didn't help you out at all either. The Tigers just put more itch in you. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, my wife will tell you that I, I am the hardest person to deal with from about July 20th until we kick the season off because it's just like the juices are flowing. I'm ready to do the podcast and I'm ready. I'm just ready to go to a football game and eat a bratwurst and hang out. So for the final time well, this year, the best co-host in all the land, Larry Marley. And Larry, if I, I'm sure I'll talk to you, but have, have a great holiday. Yep. And uh, too, we'll sir. do it again next year. So and all of our listeners as well. Abs- absolutely, yeah. And uh, I can't thank everybody enough for for tuning in this year and uh, spending a little bit of time with us to just kind of crazy guys talking about Tiger football and uh, just hanging out and and uh, listening to what we have to say. And uh, honored and and grateful for everybody's support this year. And Gil, great job all year. Appreciate you and the Ohm Network. It's been a it's been a great first year and. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to, to many more. But for the final time, this is John Maddox signing off of Tigers Tonight saying, Go Tigers, go, and we'll see everybody next season. Thanks for tuning in to Tigers Tonight. The opinions of all guests appearing on this show are their own and do not reflect the views of their employers. Tigers Tonight is not affiliated with the University of Memphis in any way. Join us next week for Tigers Tonight. This podcast is a production of Ohm Audio and the Ohm Network. For more information, go to theoamnetwork.com.